Good. Thanks very much. Um, so I was a little worried when you when you first messaged. I thought, oh crikey, what's the time zone difference for where you are to where I am? Is is early morning my time going to be good for you or bad for you? But it looks like a lovely day over there. Yeah, it's uh, afternoon, 4 p.m. here. Uh, that's that's not too bad then. It's it's some it's 20 to 11 here, so I'm I'm doing okay. I'm on the second coffee of the day, so <laughs> I'm all revved wow. up and looking forward to talking to you. So firstly, Rick, uh, thank you very much uh, for accepting my invitation and accepting to be on my show. No, it's a, it's a pleasure. I, I had a look at your channel and it's pretty auspicious company that I'm joining. There's an awful lot of names in there that, that I know, recognize and respect. So I just hope I can live up to you know the, the kind of interviews you've had with, with people in the past. So uh, I thought to tell about uh, the work uh, uh, that you are doing to my my audience at the same time. Uh, I want to tell about uh, uh, how you started uh, 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 your technology career okay. uh, in detail. Okay, where, where would you like me to start? With what I do or with how I started? Yeah, you can start uh, uh, with uh, what you're doing now. Okay, so my, my job title is Chief Consulting Officer. Um, I work for a company called Black Marble. We, we're about 25 years old. I think we're actually celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. And I've been associated with it since the start because it was founded with, by some friends of mine. Um, and I, I run effectively two teams here at Black Marble, right? All the developers now work for me, but all the consultants work for me. And I split my time between the sort of management of, of the team and also active consultancy, helping, helping customers with their problems. Um, we're an interesting org because we're quite broad, so I can have two completely different engagements on, on sort of consecutive days, right? So I can have one day where I'm talking to sort of senior management CXOs about um, cloud governance, management, budget, all that sort of headline, um, how do we, we use this, how do we, we get value from it? And then the next day might be a, a sleeves rolled up whiteboarding session with developers about how we're going to re-architect their application or um, talking to an organization about requirements, capturing, gathering information for something that they want to build and doing design and all that kind of stuff. Um, in terms of how I got started, um, I, I'm not a, a, I, I didn't do a technology de degree. Um, I actually did a did a marketing degree, um, but I was I was really fortunate that um, when I was at school, uh, my form tutor was the IT teacher. Right. So all of the computers in the school were in my classroom and he, he let me use them and he let me build them and configure them. So um, I started a long time ago with, with Novell Netware and, and um, coaxial cable, right, networking stuff for, for him. And when I went to university, I was fortunate that at that time they were just putting desktop PCs in because I am that old. Um, and I, I got involved with the team at, at university and they let me help as well. And I sort of built that passion for technology whilst doing a completely different um, degree. And then when I graduated, rather than going to work in sort of accountancy or marketing that my degree was for, I, I went to work for that university. And um, 
that was a it was a really great experience because they they let me do everything because it was new right so so i did network cabling we did switches we did routing we built desktops we built the servers we wired them all together we did desktop support and that was such a great experience and i learned so much um and they also let me um sort of build that presentation community career that that i i i still do and, and love and, and basically got me into sharing knowledge and working with other people and trying to transfer that knowledge and help them and eventually then after being at the university for quite a long time and, and sort of working my way up the team um the friends of mine that have founded black marble said hey we're not just developers now we're starting to get projects where we need an it pro we need somebody who can come and help our customers with their infrastructure and you know actually install the servers onto which the software that we black marble are now writing do you want to jump ship and come and join um and that was that was about 15 years ago it's it's been great fun ever since so uh you have uh, no uh, technology degree uh, uh but still uh, you came into this now you have completed 25 years now you are uh, uh, into management side and also you are into uh uh, uh architecting uh, software so yeah. how this business aspect and technology aspect how you are able to develop yourself and uh, and also i can see you are microsoft mvp i am yeah and uh, so the the mvp award I'm, i'm i'm really proud of that's that's because of the community work that i that i do so i'm i'm involved in the organization of of two community events here in the uk so we we have developer 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 which is running the south of england and we have um ddd north which is oddly enough running the north of england and both of those are um completely free events where we try and encourage new speakers and and it's all about bringing the community together so developers are are presenting to other developers to share their knowledge and help bring everybody on the, on that journey because that to your original question you know how how do i get from from non technology into technology the answer is with the support of some very helpful and knowledgeable people although interestingly when i started working at the computer center university in my office there was a chemist there was a physicist there was an electrical engineer and there was me so none of us came from a formal computing background in the in the sort of desktop support microserver um side of things the people who ran the the unix systems the solaris systems that the, they were comp sci people um but I, i think i think technology is and can be and should be accessible to people if they have the passion and the interest i think there's a lot to be said for studying other things as well because what people don't realize is if if you want to work for an organization like mine right we we spend so much of our day communicating with people and managing projects and delivering things on deadlines and helping our customers work out what their priorities are and balancing the value that the work they want in technology the products they want creating the services they want they've got to balance that value against the the return they're going to get from it and and the risk that's involved in creating it all of those are skills that are not always taught 
on your traditional sort of comp sci software engineering degree. And they're really important. And I think there's as much to be said for coming at it with those kinds of skills and learning the technology because you're passionate as there is for coming into it with the technology background and then learning the, the sort of business side. I personally find it found it easier to learn the technology and be taught the business. Um, but, you know, other people might might find it the other way around. Um, I mean, if you, you look at yourself, I mean, you know, you're I, studying technology, right? But you're doing this great communication project, which is exactly the kind of mix you really need in our industry these days. So tell me about your experience as a director and uh, and officer. So I, I joined Black Marble as a as a, a company director. I, I came in sort of at the management level, if you like. Um, the, there's a fairly straightforward divide in Black Marble. Anybody that's sort of grey of hair, um, we met when we were at university and at the university we worked at, um, and the people that work in the organization we we have a um a sort of a strong background in working with universities and, and hiring people from from uni so i think when i left my previous employment i'd reached that point of sort of middle management where i was managing a team and dealing with internal customers and that prepared me quite well for moving to being a company director but it didn't necessarily prepare me for some of the responsibility that comes along with that. You know, at, at the end of the day, I have to make sure we get money in so that the people that work for me get paid so that, you know, they can continue to eat. And, and there's um there's a certain amount of pressure on that that they don't necessarily tell you where you start. Um, you know, I think if if you want to be senior management in an organization, I think you have to be aware that there is a responsibility that you have for the welfare of the people that, that you work for. I, I, I hope I do a good job of that. I'm certainly passionate about how we look after our, our staff. And I, I think there's also, you, you get better over time, you learn about how to communicate at a sort of a management level with with other organizations. You know, developer developer is, is easy, right? You roll up these sleeves, you get the whiteboard out and you're talking about the problem and the solution in, in technical terms, but the things that, that we know and we love and we enjoy and we're passionate about. But when you're having a conversation with management, you've got to be more dispassionate. You've got to be not cold, that's not the right word, but you it's not about the the fun technology, it's about what can the technology do for the organization? Because at the end of the day, the people I'm talking to have the same responsibilities to their employees, you know, to make sure that they're bringing the money in at the end of the month and the company's growing and it's thriving and that kind of stuff. And it's it's a it's a very different conversation. Um, and, and I think. I think it's easier to have as you've been in the industry longer because you've got more experience of different situations and different projects. Um, the the people that work for, for for me in consultancy normally they they start as developers. They might do some time in in QA test, looking at sort of quality and automation and delivery, 
And once they've got a few projects under their belt and they start then um, interacting with, with customers directly, they start by talking to the development teams. They start by talking about what the requirements are and they slowly work their way up in terms of audience. And that's not because I hold them back or anything, but I, I think um, you you gain confidence from talking to people at different levels as you work your way through. And, and um, if you've been doing it for a little while, it's it, there's a sort of a talent in how you command respect, respect when you talk to people, right? The, the language you use, the body language you use, the, the kind of conversations you have, the kind of questions you ask. Um, and it, there's a nervousness that you've got to overcome as, as, a, as, a, as a new consultant, as a young consultant, right? I mean, I'm a big fan of pushing people off a cliff because um, you've got to overcome that fear to be able to learn. But I, I tend to tackle it by saying, right, you're now coming into this call with me and you're going to be talking to, you know, the chief exec and the financial officer or whatever. And, you know, just sit there and enjoy. And if you feel you want to contribute, contribute and soak it in. And then on call number two, I might say, OK, well, do you want to lead the conversation for a bit? So you're sort of trying to develop those skills in 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 people. Sorry, I forgot what the question was. I've just, just been on a complete tangent that may or may not have been interesting. <laughs> I do that from time to time. You've got to just sort of pull me back. So uh, it's a very big responsibility what uh, you are doing. So in this 25 years of your journey in this position, having a lot of different experiences, having uh, managing different projects and managing different clients and like you said, different level of people you have to communicate. So learning that. So what is that driving force? What is that workforce of or what is that invisible thing that is making you to do uh, so much production and make people to uh, do things and uh, uh, run uh, be, be the reason for the success of your organization? So I know it sounds like a cliche, but I love what I do. Um, I have a really simple rule, right, which is if I don't enjoy the job I'm doing, I will find another job. And I have been so incredibly fortunate that I love working for Black Marble. I love working with the people I work with and I love working with them to solve the challenging problems that our customers bring us. And I think the other thing that sort of stimulates and drives me, if you like, is no two of our projects are ever the same, right? I mean, I always joke about this in customer calls, but literally we've, we've done um, what might seem mundane, right? Like um, the systems that, that work out the quote for your car insurance. Um, we've done 3D models of submarine propellers for um, exhibitions, We've done interactive exhibitions that some of the most fun I've ever had was was working on a, a James Bond exhibition at, at the, the Science Museum in, in the UK, where we built all the, the sort of interactive exhibits. Um, that sort of keeps me stimulated because when a customer comes and says, you know, I have a, a, a project I'd like to work on. I can say, well, you know what, actually, I've never done that before which is kind of cool, 
I've never done that before, but I've done all of these things. And in what you've just described to me, I can see elements of this and this and this. And I can bring all of that breadth of learning to the customer and hopefully help them move forward. And that's exciting because it's it's challenging. I'm not doing the same thing every day. Every customer has slightly different problems and slightly different needs and things that drive them. And I love being able to help them get a better understanding of that and find out where the commonalities are with other organizations and where they can take learnings from from other organizations and where they really are a beautiful, unique unicorn. And they've got to do something on their own and we've got to work out how we fit that. And, and it, being challenged every day when I get up in the morning, that that that's the fun bit. I think I, I, I've worked one summer. Um, in a factory because you do right when you're at, at school and university and, and I was working on a production line pushing electric cables into a lamp and all I did was pick up the lamp and push the electric cable through and get it through so far and cut the cable and hand it on to the next person and it was valuable work for the organization but I realized that I couldn't do that kind of thing I, I needed the challenge I needed the variety I needed the the variation. Um, I, I can't do the same thing two days on a trot. Unless it's a, if it's a really difficult, tenacious problem and it's taking me days to work through it. Yeah, that's that's fine. But if you said, hey, Rick, can can you can you stuff this cord through this lamp now for the next five days? I, I just no, I'm sorry. I, I, there's no mental challenge in that, you know. So you started from very basic stage. Uh, now uh, you are being the reason for uh, a very big thing. So how is this experience? If you if you look at uh, two different persons in yourself who started without degree uh, into technology now. So what is the difference that you are observing if, in two people in you? Ooh. Um, probably the 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 biggest difference between me now and me then um, is, is caution. So I was always, I, I've always loved computers, right? I mean, I, so the very first computer I ever played with was a, um, a ZX81 with a 16K RAM pack. And if you, if you click the keyboard too hard, it would crash because the connection between the RAM pack and the, 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 the thing was, was dodgy. So that sort of ages me, that, that's a long time ago, right? And I would just throw myself into things with, with no care, you know? Ooh, look, we've got some new network cards in the office. Let's plug them in. Let's let's get this new beta version of Windows NT. Let's install it. Can we shove more things into this? What happens if we try connecting to that? And I I loved it. It was challenging, but I didn't think about the implications. I was I was um, focused on the problem, if you like, not the wider context. And the big thing that I've learned over time. And the, the big thing that I I try and instill on in the people that work work with me is you've got to have an eye on the broader picture and you've got to you've got to think about what's best for in, in our case the customer, right? If we're we're creating software, sure, we can pick the latest fancy technology because we feel like learning it, or we can use the the newest shiniest cloud services because they're cool and we and we want to play with them and younger me would do that you know 
oh, look, to pick something, Azure Container Apps, right? Azure Container Apps is really cool. We really fancy using it. Let's do a project with that. Older me says, hang on a minute. Is that actually going to work? Is it tried? Is it tested? What's the risk to our customer? What's the benefit to our customer? What's the risk to us? You know, if we're going to play with this shiny new thing we've never touched before, are we going to deliver the project on time? Is it going to do what they want? Is it actually going to work? And um, it's it's the steadying hand of age, right? With age comes wisdom. And, and it's knowing when to put that hand on the shoulder of the young, enthusiastic Rick to say, slow down there. Just hang on before you start unboxing all of that thing and taking it apart. Are you sure you can put it back together and it'll still work? That's that's the biggest thing that I've learned, I guess, in 25 ish years of working in the industry. Yeah, so how uh, you are able to uh, use this tool technology and uh, how you are able to uh, match the requirements of the people who are coming to you? Oh, God. Uh, so uh, re requirements capture is an interesting thing because we, we've been talking about that here at BM over the, the, the past few days. Um, I mean, th there are there are formal ways of doing requirements capture. Um, and, and there are people far more skilled than me who work for me and with me who document that. And we, you know, we use techniques like user stories and we, we carefully think about acceptance criteria. So what does a customer want and how can we prove that we've met what they want? Um, but actually before you get into that formal requirements capture, there's an adage in consultancy, which is you keep asking why until you get to the money. And nine times out of 10, a customer will come to you and say, I've got a great idea. I need a system that is going to let me mine cheese on the moon or you know, count the number of gerbils on the Himalayan foothills. And your job as a technology consultant is to say, that's great, why? What is the business reason that you feel you need a technology solution to do this? What is it you can't do or you can't do efficiently enough? Once you've and the, the thing is, you're effectively walking the customer back because they're here on their journey. Right. And they've decided they want something. And. I, I always feel it's our responsibility to challenge them to explain how they got from here, which was they thought they needed something to mine cheese on the moon to here where they've decided they have. And if they can walk me through that process so that I can understand the underlying business reasons, organizational drivers, you know, all that kind of stuff that they feel they want the solution. That then makes the formal requirements capture much more straightforward because I, I understand the customer. I understand their reasoning. And then then we're into the specifics, right? Because normally they the in my job, quite often a customer comes to us with very specific requirements. We you know, we've decided we want a form solution to capture the following fields of information. And then you go, right, why do you want a form solution? Who's the user for this? What are you actually trying to achieve? And sometimes by walking them backwards and then working forwards through their reasoning, we come up with something completely different. One of the best projects we've ever worked with, the customer said, um, we want a solution where 
uh, the people who work for our organization can complete forms while they're, they're out on the move, you know, uh, uh, around the local region with all of these different fields to capture. And by the time we finished, we got a solution where there wasn't a form in sight and it was all about collaboration and gathering information because that's what they did. And the system figured out what the end result was and sort of built the form, if you like. And if we hadn't got them to explain what their underlying needs were that they thought a form solution was going to fulfill, we never would have given them the actual solution, which went way beyond what they'd originally envisaged. And I think that's it's one of the most important things that we need to do in technology. Um, if you're a, a, a development shop, a, a contract developer, one of the things you've got to do is be able to dream on behalf of your customer, right? Because they don't necessarily, they don't know what we can do. They don't know the art of the possible and they're looking at it from the perspective of their organization and the things they've already got. And if the thing they already have is, is a paper form, or it's a, an old piece of software, you know, sort of green screen, mainframe, whatever, data capture. That's what they're going to think of as, as the future, Un, unless they've managed to make a connection between those cool apps that they've got on their smartphone or their tablet and say, why can't we have something more like this? Our job is to dream that for them. Um, so it, it's about a mix of requirements capture for business and concept if you like and then move into detailed requirements capture as we know and love it in IT where we're you know we're building PBIs we're building user stories and we're we're sort of gathering putting it in features and epics and all that kind of stuff so it's a general question so uh, creating products and uh, giving uh, service ultimately uh, you are uh, solving the problems of human beings. So in this 25 years of your journey, or maybe more in IT, so how uh, you saw the uh, how this uh, IT industry is uh, creating impact on this planet and changing the way people, human beings are living and how uh, it, it made things easier. So what is your observation? Uh, how uh, you, you saw the gradual change, where we are going and how far we came in solving the problems using this tool, IT? So that's a really interesting question. That is, I, I am, I'm, I'm still like a kid in a toy shop, right? I, I still am genuinely surprised by how a really great idea from somebody implemented through technology can change people's lives. And I, that's the bit that makes it all worthwhile for me. I, I've had the privilege to work on several projects that we've done where you can genuinely see not just a, a, an impact on a business, but an impact on people's personal lives, where you're genuinely making the world a better place. Um, and I think, I think it's, it's important that technology keeps its eye on that prize. And I think having a social conscience as a technology organization is something that's important. I, we, 
we talk about running an, an ethical business. And we, when we talk about that, we, we talk about wanting to make sure that we treat our customers honestly and fairly because we expect them to be honest and fair with us. Um, but also we, we do strive to make the people that work for us happy, have a good time in the workplace, do no harm to the people outside Black Marble, if, if you like. Um, I, I'm privileged to be both an MVP and, a, and an RD. So the, the regional director program is a, is a similar kind of community award program for Microsoft, but it's more focused on that CXO level. Um, and one of the things that I find satisfying about working with, with Microsoft as a big technology org is Microsoft now has a social conscience. It is mindful of what are the implications of the technology they are creating and selling on the wider world. Um, you know, if, if you're a doctor, there's a really simple tenet of first do no harm, right? In, in technology, that's a lot fuzzier because one man people fight oppression in certain countries is another person's um, encrypted conversations for that are a security problem in a, in a different country. And I think one of the most important things that we need to do with technology these days is just as we as we invent it, as we build it, we've got to be thinking about what are the implications of, of what we're building. Um, the stuff that's so exciting now, I mean, the augmented reality, stuff like HoloLens, you know, the, the sort of augmented reality glasses where I can overlay um, all kinds of information, but you still see the real world. The metaverse is an exciting concept, but I think there are lots of questions with some of these technologies as to, well, should we erect boundaries over what they can be used for? How do we use them? How do we responsibly use them? Um, those questions, I think, have got bigger and more important as our capabilities in software and technology have got bigger. You know, when I first started, I mean, apart from anything else, a computer was this big thing that, you know, was hard to carry. Um, my first 20 inch monitor was a, 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 a cathode ray chip. It was a two man lift. You didn't want to carry it on yourself because if you dropped it, the thing exploded. And I, I watched somebody do that once. It wasn't pleasant. Um, whereas now, you know, I've got more compute power in my phone in my pocket than we had in entire rooms back when I started. There are capabilities that we could never dream of. But at the same time, you've got to go, well, what comes along with those capabilities? What are what are the implications for people? And is what I'm doing on my side of the world for people that I think is a benefit to people that, that I'm immediately working with, how does that reflect on people in other countries like yourselves? I mean, if you think about issues like um, industrial technology waste, the developed world like, like the UK still sticks it in containers and ships it off to other parts of the world. And it's like brushing it under the carpet. It's not my problem. That's an issue with the technology industry that we have to deal with um, because it's that old, you know, with, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Just because we can doesn't mean that we should. 
and the things that we can now, 25 year old, 25 year ago, me could never have dreamed of some of it. And it's cool and exciting, but 25 year wiser me is that they're going, should you? Uh, you understand the mechanism of uh, invisible thing called software and you know how to uh, put bricks and you know how to create it and you know what uh, this particular software uh, is needed and which makes uh, things easier and faster. You do architecture, you know cloud services, you know storage services, you know compute services and when when a client comes to you or where any human being comes and tells their requirements you uh, from your collection from your experience you will put all together and you'll create and you are giving what they want this is one one aspect of yours and uh, other thing is you communicate with people you said at the beginning like you communicate a lot with uh, people like you understand the mechanism of uh, 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 the thought process of uh, human being but because you talk with completely different people uh, in, in, in that position. And uh, other thing is time. So how you are able to uh, connect all these things and how you are able to manage it and how you are able to create production and uh, solve problems. So I'm, I'm fortunate that because of my position in Black Marble, some of the things I do, I am afforded the time to do, if, if you like. So um, the community work we do as, as, a, as a company, because those of us that started the company, we, we've been working in the community, helping the community, doing community events since we started. So we do try and encourage the people that work for us and give some time to them to do the same stuff. So. Um, I, I'm able to balance the traveling to speak at a conference and try and um, tell other people about the stuff that we've been doing and share the knowledge that we've we've learned. And it, partly because it's it, it's good for good for the company, right? And partly because it's it, it, it's it's good for it's good for me. Um, the work life balance is a tricky one. Um, my wife will tell you that I'm often working late, but I I tend to work late because I'm engaged in a problem, not because I feel that I'm up against the grind. Um, and we try to make sure that people within the company have the same thing, right? Work-life balance is really important because burnout is a real thing. Um, and driving the people that work for you to put long hours in just to, to, live, to deliver against an unreasonable deadline. That's coming back to that's not the kind of place I would want to work and it's not the kind of place I want to build where other people work. Um, I think that the most important thing, having a balance in your life of things that you like doing outside work to keep you sane is, is really important. Um, and it's one of those things I've, I've always found it really wonderful I meet so many people in technology, right? And you wouldn't believe the variety of things that people do outside of work. I mean, when I was younger, I used to really enjoy when we bought the house that I'm in. You know, I I I learned to plaster. I plastered walls. I I 
learned to uh, do plumbing and wiring and all that kind of stuff. And I, I found that quite enjoyable. And it was something to do outside of work where the, the thought process is different. You know, I mean, you can see I'm surrounded by Lego. Um, I, I love to build stuff like that because it's it's exercising different bits of the mind than I than I work on when I'm sort of at work doing the technology thing. And I, I love to do the the community side of things, the imparting knowledge again, because it's flexing different muscles. And I think being able to have the opportunity to do those different things and exercise the different skills is what helps us grow as a practitioner because we bring all of that experience to us within the job that we do. Um, could I have a better work-life balance? Honestly, yes, possibly. You know, I mean, to be fair, the past couple of years, I've hardly left the house because of COVID. Um, and that means that some of the things that I used to do socially, I just, I haven't done. Um, although again, you know, we find a way for technologies to let us meet our friends, the Friday night pub call rather than actually sitting around a table. Um, but I, I again, it's, it, you sometimes find because you're higher in the organization, you you. I don't feel a pressure to work longer, but I feel I want to make sure that if you know, I still commit the time to the the management tasks because I, I have to split my time between the managing the company and the or managing the teams that, that work for me and the, the doing the work because I'm a practitioner as well. So it might be the work happens during the day and then the management happens at night. Or if the management has to happen during the day, the work happens at night. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that to succeed, you have to, you know, work 27 hour days or anything stupid like that, because that's that's bad advice. So what is the best thing that you did? As in what, the best project I've ever worked on? Yeah. Um, so the, 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 there's a few, um, but genuinely the, the one that I, that I enjoyed the most, um, it's actually quite a few years ago, ago now, it was when, when um, I think it was when GoldenEye was released, you know, the, 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 the Pierce Brosnan movies or, or a couple after that. Um, the Science Museum in the UK, um, and I, I live in Bradford, and the, we have the National Media Museum in Bradford. Um, so they put together this James Bond exhibition, um, and they'd got, you know, the Aston Martins and the, the, the Jaguar with the machine gun on from the world is not enough, and, and props galore, the, you know, the man with the golden gun's golden gun. Um, and the, the curators of the museum have built this wonderful thing where um, focused on on kids right getting them excited so you started and and you were in m's office and a little picture rolled up and m came and briefed you on what you had to do as you wandered around the exhibition and what you had to do was you know you look at the exhibits but then there were touch screens and you swiped an id card and you had to answer a bunch of questions and you got a score and you came out of the eight the end with your secret agent score and there were problems with the technology that they were using so they asked us to step in and help and we we they've got touch screens with swipe cards and it was it was everything that you want in a project right because it was a cool subject because it was james bond um there was a definite you had an impact because so 
you could see the, the kids wandering around, answering the questions, getting excited that they got a really high secret agent score at the end. It was challenging from a technology point of view because I'd got um, a server that had to be able to, to re-image any of these consoles just by swiping a card if, if something went wrong and rebuilding stuff. And it was it was network cabling, it was switches, it was it was all the different bits of technology. But the the bit that so when we started, we would go into the exhibition at the end of the day and we'd start capturing all the data off the stuff that was already there as we were rewriting and rebuilding things. And it was a week before I worked out how to turn the lights on. So we're in the dark. And it was another week before I worked out how to turn the exhibition off. So I could recite all the different voiceovers and end speech and everything else. But they they built this thing with with secret doors in the walls that they'd built and the IT kit was inside the walls. And one of the secret doors came out into M's office. And one morning we'd, we'd been in there, we'd, we'd been installing some stuff on the server. We'd sort of, you know, tweaking to make sure everything worked. We got suits on because at the time, you know, you tended to wear suits because you were doing consultancy. So two of us open the secret door and step out into M's office, all suited and booted. This little lad just went, <gasps> Mummy, the secret agents. So you just go, ha, right. <laughs> That's, I love the fact that I get the opportunity to do stuff like that. You know, it's cool. So what are the challenging things that you have experienced? Uh, what do you mean by challenge? As in challenges in what we're delivering, challenges in technology, challenges in customer, or any of the above? Uh, you're doing something that you didn't did before, and that is completely different from the experience that you had. Ooh, well, that's a good question. Um, so... I'll be honest, it's getting fewer and far between now that I, I hit a customer problem where you go, genuinely, I've never seen that. But but every now and again, we we do. Um, and I, it sort of comes back to what I was saying earlier, right? I, I really enjoy being able to figure out what the technology solution to a particular problem is. But the the key to the challenge is getting to know the customer, getting to know the people inside the customer and getting to understand what their problem is that they're bringing to us to, to solve. Um, and then it's working with my team and working with the customer to, to, to be creative, to try and work out how we might bring the different possible components of what we do, right? Services, software stacks, languages, and, and build something that will work for them. And it it's something I think a lot of people don't realize about working in IT. Being a developer is really hard because you have to be creative the whole day, right? Cutting code is creating stuff. It's not all right, you know, there's no sculpture at the end, there's no painting, but at the end of the day, you're creating something, you can sit back and go, I built that, and, and you know, you're conjuring it from your mind. And that's always the biggest challenge. Um, 
writer's block, you know, the, the blank sheet of paper, the, wow, I'm really not sure how to tackle this problem. I've never done it before. Um, how do we do it? And and at that point, basically, it comes down to communication and, and sitting in a room and throwing some ideas around and, and, and talking stuff through and, and, and seeing how you might do it. I think technology challenges, you know, the stuff like how do we store this amount of data? How do we um, manage this kind of information securely? How do we make applications that work both when connected or when disconnected? Those are technology challenges, but they're not they're not conceptual challenges. That was a bad way of putting it. You know, if I'm at the point where I know I need an application to work on an online and offline, I've already crested the hill, which is I know I need an application to do something. Um, Try and think of a couple of examples. We did some work, some conceptual work for a hospital once. Um, and they were doing, they were teaching eye surgeons. And um, they, they came to us to say, look, can, is there a way that we can use computers to help them um, improve their surgical skills? And we sort of looked at that and we, we weren't really sure. We, we, we had a bit of a think, um, and it was at the time that Kinect had just come out, you know, the, the Xbox camera. And we built a proof of concept using the Xbox stuff where um, we tracked their hands. So we had a, um, a 3D model of, a, of an eyeball basically on screen, and using the Kinect, we tracked the hands of the trainee surgeon so they could... Um, work their way around the eye and, and, and practice the, the techniques. Um, that was one where we didn't really have any idea when we first started talking to them as to whether technology was even going to do the kind of stuff they wanted. And the, the proof of concept proved that it could be done. The question then was, could we refine it to work to work well enough? And th there's been a few things like that where, um, you know, it's, okay, what, Let's look in the bag of tricks. What have we got? What do we think might work? Let's talk to the customer about whether it could work um, and how it might work. And then do that sort of trial, proof of concept, technology spike. And if that does function and does what they want, then, then we're on to the more mundane. Right, now we know we can do it. We know roughly how to do it. And everything else is refinement. Today, are you able to solve uh, any human problem using the technology knowledge that you have, using the technology tools or uh, by architecting or creating something with the technology? Can you able to solve anything that you get? Uh, um, that's another sweeping question. Can, I mean, that's, that's very much a can technology solve every problem question, right? I mean, the, the short answer to that is, not always at the time you bring us the problem. Um, but one of the coolest things about doing what I do for a living is everything develops so quick. New capabilities come along every few days, right? I mean, the the pace of change in cloud, the the, the delivery of new features and new capabilities is so quick that 
just because we can't do something now doesn't mean we can't do it in it doesn't mean we're still unable to do it in six months um i think yes there will always be problems that people will come to me and i will go look there's the ones that i can't solve right because that's not my area of expertise you know we black marble do certain things you know we, we don't do infrastructure and tin we don't do your managed cabling we don't do so there are some problems that a customer might bring to us where i go that's beyond our capability as a company because that's what we've chosen not to do and then there's the problems where somebody comes to us and you go well that's a really cool problem and i know that there is some technology that's just sort of coming out that might do it but realistically you're several years away from it being production ready to be able to use it um and then there's the sweet spot in the middle right where where customers come to us with a challenge and we can go you know what yeah we we understand it we have the capability and 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 desire as a company because it's what we do for a living and we've got the smarts and the technology and the the components that we can do that for um it it's it's kind of rare these days that somebody brings us a problem that assuming you put those constraints on it that we can't solve and the fun is being able to to help the customer and solve it with them uh, but you know with the best we are not a multi-million dollar research company that's looking at you know quantum computing or any of that kind of stuff so the the short answer to your your question is yes there are problems that i cannot solve but I work in a part of technology where knowing my limitations is actually one of the key the key things, right? Um, and if you bring me a if you bring me a challenge within the parameters that I'm able to operate, I would hopefully be able to say, yeah, you know, we can we can do that for you. So, how fast you are able to uh, uh, solve the problems of human beings? Uh... Oh, that that's a very much and it depends um and it, it depends on the scale of the problem it depends on the complexity of of the problem and and it it depends on how quickly we can get an understanding of the problem um so again let me illustrate with some examples so one of the things i've, I've been proud to be involved in over, over the years we 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 helped um for a couple of years we were involved in in the imagine cup in the uk um and one of the teams that we worked with made it through to the the finals and what what they were doing was they were using a, a a mobile phone bearing in mind this is a good 10 years ago to take photos of the eye and then do some analysis of the the image that was taken to capture and, and spot um degenerative diseases in the eye and that was something where I was helping them work out how they were going to do it, both from a technology standpoint and from a, you know, how do we sort of build it, commercialize it, all that kind of stuff. That took several months. Some problems, a customer comes and you just, you innately know the solution and, and you can say we can solve that in a couple of days. And sometimes a customer comes and you go, well, to actually properly implement and do that, it's going to take several years. And, and we've done, all of those kinds of, of of things here at, at BM, the 
The trick with the latter one, you know, the, this is going to take several years, is how can we break it down into a series of smaller problems that we might deliver something incrementally? Because at the end of the day, the work that I do is commercially driven. You know, we're not doing research. We're not doing sort of open ended. We don't care how long this takes. A customer comes to us with a tangible problem and they usually have a budget and a time frame. Um, and the challenge is to make sure that we can solve their problem within their budget and inside their time frame. And that time frame varies depending on how big the problem is, how big the customer is and bluntly how deep their pockets are. Right. Um, and if if they can't afford or there isn't enough time, that's when actually the, 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 the management skills come into play and you have to help the customer refit their expectations to what they are able to afford or to the, to their in, impending deadline so how you look at a problem how do i look at a problem um god that's a different that's a really difficult question um i don't know i just kind of do um <laughs> I guess it, it, it comes back to the asking why a lot, right? Um, I, so I, I tend to solve problems by leaps of inspiration and trial and error rather than being a calculating mind. So I need to talk about a problem. Yeah, I need, I need to talk about you, the customer, and understand where you're coming from, what your problem is, where the problem originates, what it is you're trying to achieve. Um, and then I need to talk to my team and my colleagues when we're bouncing ideas around and where we're getting a better understanding of what the customer said. And I'm, I'm sort of acting as the middleman, right? So that the customer will say, I need X and Y and Z, and I'll go back to the team and say, the customer says X and Y and Z, and I'll go, well, why? Did you ask them this? Um, what about this idea over here? And then it's about it's about that creative process again, right? It's it's about the whiteboarding. It's about the sharing of ideas and the sketching of of things to see if we think something will work. Because um, I it because so I'm I'm a breadth guy, right? So I I'm I'm looking at sort of architectural solutions to things and looking at the the technologies that will fit and then the actual implementation i tend to hand off to far brighter people than me so um i'm exploring with with the customer um what the business need is what what the users are going to be where are they who are they how do we think they want to interact with the piece of software they they want um and i'm starting to build ideas and scribble diagrams of how I think that might work in terms of the different layers of the onion, the different moving parts. You know, if, um, if we're dealing with a customer, right, well, the customer's got to use our software. Is it, is it going to be a device? Is it, is it a mobile phone? Is it a tablet? Is it a PC? Right, I've got a, I've got a marker in the sand there. I've got a thing. Right. Um, is this something that's entirely for the customer? It's self-contained. It's got to run on the device. Does it have to have data given to it does it have to push data back to something right well now i've got a back-end service i've got another marker in the in the sand um then we start so well um okay well how, 
what are we dealing with? How mission critical is this? You know, um, I've worked on projects where literally somebody dies if you screw it up, which gives you a certain amount of, you know, um, impetus to get it right, shall we say. And I've worked on projects where, you know, the customer says, oh, no, this is absolutely business critical. It's, it's got to be up, you know, five nines. We can't live without it. And you go, brilliant. OK, no problem. It's going to cost you this much. And you go, I think we can live without it for an hour or two or even a day or two. And it's, it's that sort of finding, identifying the constraints because they then influence what you build and how you build it. Um, and once we've got those markers in the sand, then we start to get onto the cooler stuff. Like, what are we trying to do? Like, um, I, I'm trying to think of some things. Like, I don't know, I wanna be able to, um, to take video recordings. Um, uh, actually, did, a random example, we did a, a proof of concept where, um, so that the customer said, look, we, we, we was a, a police force in the UK. And what they wanted to be able to do was have people who'd witnessed an accident submit video of the accident because they wanted to gather evidence right it's it, like in the uk you see it a lot there's a little sign that says an accident happened here did you see anything can you help call whatever um and what they wanted people to do was to be able to give dash cam video or mobile phone video but they needed to be able to relate it to an incident but the the person at the other end you know that the user didn't know any of the details of the accident so that was a talk to what they needed, what problem they were trying to solve. And what we ended up with was something where you you could hit a website with your device because we, we didn't know what whether you'd have the video on your phone or you got to plug your, your camera into something else, hit the website, upload a video and you could pick on a map where you saw it. Or if the video was was exif encoded, we'd read the location. And then we built something that did geospatial search. So. There were two groups of users in that when we try to problem solve. There's the people who are submitting the videos and the officers that are looking to match the video to a to an incident. So immediately then you've got, well, that's probably two different websites or client apps, but we've got one central system that we've got to push all the data into, and something's got to do the searching. And then you get questions like, well, hang on a minute, this this is information that we might need to securely delete after a particular amount of time. You see, you're sort of working through that thought process. And, and requirements drop out and design elements drop out and um, security requirements drop out. And the trick is to sort of capture those and build them into the solution that you're trying to design. So I, it's a terrible analogy, but it, it, it is a little bit like, uh, I can't remember the name of the sculptor, but he always said he, he, all he had to do was to chip away at the stone until the sculpture came out. And, and sometimes software design can be the kind of stuff that I do is a little bit like that. There's a solution in there and it's a matter of chipping away at it until you can see the beauty with, within just by asking lots of questions and drawing lots of pictures, basically. Uh, have you ever felt uh, very tough to connect uh, technology and human being requirement? So I'm not, not sure what you mean. Uh, in your complete experience, uh, uh, anytime you felt like I cannot uh, match uh, uh, the client requirement with the technology. Oh yes, um, and the 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 problem actually tends to be not well. So yes, we we've had some things where you go look, the technology just isn't there yet. Um, 
HoloLens is actually a really good example of, of that because with all new technology, there's there's a certain amount of hype, right? Because you've got to build awareness. And people come to you with all these good ideas, but what they want to do, they've seen some of the capabilities of, of the software, but the of the of the technology, the device, whatever, but it just isn't capable of doing it. Um, so we had a lot of stuff in the early days of HoloLens where what people wanted to try and visualize and deal with, the amount of data was just too big for the device or um, the scenario they wanted to use it in was outside the battery life or something like that, you know, those kinds of constraints. Um, the, the biggest problem that I encounter actually is not necessarily that we can't solve the problem from a technology point of view, it's that the customer can't afford the solution that they want, um, normally because they've underestimated. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think we've ever had anything where we go, wow, that just isn't at all possible. Um, it's more a, you've, you the customer have misunderstood stood the capabilities of the service and, and you're sort of into science fiction at this point. You're trying to drip. That tends to happen a lot with people come to us with sort of startup ideas and that kind of stuff. You know, I've decided we're going to make a million pounds if we just do this. And you go, yeah, but it's not there yet. And it's not going to work cause and it's going to cost more than that. Um, nine times out of 10, the problems I can't solve for customers are not because I can't solve the problem. It's because I can't deliver it within their budget or their or their time. Um, I realize that that makes me sound like I'm better than I am. You've got to bear in mind that so we're a, a cool and fun company, but we're not huge. You know, we're, we're not Microsoft. We're, we're not some of the really big software companies. There are about 40 of us in Black Marble. So we we know our limits. Right. Um, and there are some projects that we are just not big enough to solve um, rather than necessarily we're not clever enough to solve, if you see what I mean. Uh, you worked as an IT director, you know, direction and uh, you know how to direct things and also, you know, engineering. So what is the difference doing engineering work and uh, being a director? Um, so I mean, a company director in the UK is a very specific thing. Um, so, so if you look up Black Marble with Companies House, which maintains the register of all companies in the UK, you'll find my name. And as a company director, I am responsible for making sure the company is run correctly. Um, things like we don't break the law, right? But um, stuff like um, not trading while insolvent. So, so directors are, are liable for debts that a company accrues if if we're not getting money in to pay the bills and we keep trading. So that's, there's a corporate responsibility comes with being a company director in, in the UK. Um, and I, I, I take that responsibility seriously. Um, and at a management level, I'm working with the other members of the board of Black Marble and we're looking at strategy. We're looking at where we think the market's gonna be, what, skills do we need our team to build in order to make sure we're ready for when customers start calling with with particular kinds of problems 
wanting us to build particular solutions using particular services. Um, I'm responsible for helping make decisions like what technology stacks do we use. Um, so to give you a good a good example of that, so Black Marble started as a Java house um, and, and other members of the, the board presented at Java One and, and we, we did a lot of work in Java. And we, we pivoted consciously to being a Microsoft shop because of the, the partner ecosystem that Microsoft has. So yeah, you know, the Microsoft stack, the technology stack that, that Microsoft build is, is great. It's absolutely fit for purpose. But as a small organization, back when we were looking at making this choice, Sun didn't support partners. It didn't support other companies who were using their technology in the way that Microsoft did. And those kinds of commercial decisions are the ones that I, I have to make to ensure the future of Black Marble. You know, things like um, we've just had two years of remote working. You know, we, we sat down very early on in, in COVID and, and, and said, right, we're going to close the office. Everybody's going to work remote. People's safety is more important to us than making people work in the office. How do we solve the challenges of working in the office? That's a different kind of problem set than an engineering development project, right, where I'm, I'm, I'm working with a, a customer because, um, Yes, at the level that I work, I'm responsible for making sure we deliver on the customer's needs. But at the end of the day, I'm not responsible for making sure that customer can pay their bills in a month or looks after their workforce. I've been contracted by them to deliver a very specific solution for a very specific need. And then that's a it's a technical challenge of how do we do it? And, and the 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 enjoyment of the development or um scripting or infrastructure as code or architecture or design or any of the tasks that i might be doing on that that project so working for uh, which industry in uk developing a project or creating a project for which industry you felt very happy and so we work actually pretty much for anybody um you, you can't really put a pin in black marble and say yes you know we don't we don't just work for finance. We don't just work for public sector. Um, I think that's where I enjoy working here. So, you know, we've done work for banks. We've done work for insurance companies. We've done work for stock exchange, day traders, that kind of stuff. We've done work for hospitals, um, the police, emergency services, that kind of stuff. Um, and we've done work for charities. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the work we've done for charities because a lot of that is helping them to help other people you know we, we've we've done work on on systems that help them get donations or help them direct the work they're doing and, and, and manage that and i i love the fact that you can't just point at me and say ah oh, yes that's rick he works on this industry vertical and this particular product um you know right now in terms of active projects you know, we're involved in organizations that, that do surveying of houses. We're doing stuff with um, mutual financial organizations. We're doing stuff with the police. And I think that 
spread is what keeps it fun and interesting and makes it worthwhile. I think I'm not sure I could work for an organization that did the same thing for the same industry and the same people all the time. I think I'd get bored. Um, and I, I love the fact that I'm never bored. Do you have any project in your mind that you want to do in your life? Any project in my mind that I want to do? Ooh. Um, there are lots of things that I'd like to do. I, I seem to never get around to it. I'm hoping that when I retire, I can tinker. Um, I, so I love to be creative. I mean, I, I, I specialized in marketing when I did my degree. I, I, I used to spend a lot of time doing 3D modeling of um, products for um, the food industry of all things, where, you know, we, um, we'd, we'd model uh, Easter eggs, that kind of stuff, and do pack shops, things like that. Um, and I, I enjoyed that kind of 3D modeling. I've got a hankering to get into 3D printing. Um, I'd love to find the time to tinker with devices and, and that kind of, of stuff, because it's a different kind of creativity when it, it comes to that sort of hardware rather than, than software. Um, but also, I think I just I'd like to do something that's creative in a different way than what I, I normally do. Again, you know, it's why I've got all the Lego behind me. I like to build that. Would that I actually got chance to build stuff with Lego like I used to with a kid, right? There's just a pile of bricks and you go, I want to build this. Um, these days I'm building Lego for relaxation and enjoyment and I'm building the kit that I've built and it goes on a shelf. Um, I'd like to be able to create stuff outside of software that's a bit more tangible. Um, I, I could be lofty and say, you know what, I'd like to go back to plastering, but um, my wife would probably not let me because she's seen the kitchen wall. Um, it's not that bad, but it's not great. Um, so, yeah, but I, I don't ever see myself with things like I'm never going to be a gardener. You know, I'm, I'm never going to be the, the 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 sort of how doing plants and stuff like that. That doesn't interest me. I want to be creating stuff. And I, I want to be creating different stuff. Uh, you want you want to work for space technology? Oh, God, who wouldn't? Right. I mean, yeah. So. Star Wars was the very first film I ever went to see at the cinema with my grandfather in 1977. I was about six. Um, yes, I I would so love to do stuff that's involved with space. Um, not just because it's cool, but because I find it I, as a kid, right? I was excited by the the space shuttle and 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 the, the building of the space station, but now, with the development of commercial space travel and space exploration, far more than than back in the, the sort of 70s and 80s when I was a kid, you you can see something out there that we're, we're starting to build stuff that might work, make the world a better place. Right. You know. Industry looking for how they can they can use the capabilities of space technology or build things in space that you can't build here or you know creating things that that have a purity or a um a, a structure in terms of crystal structure or that kind of stuff in space that you can't do here that then benefit the rest of humanity in terms of the technological advancements that that it then empowers 
who wouldn't want to work in that that kind of stuff? Um, but I am realistic enough to realize that as a middle-aged, slightly overweight, graying, you know, not great eyesight, I'm never going to be the guy that's going to go up into space in the spacesuit. Um, and I'm realistic enough to know that I'm I'm not an engineer. You know, I, I, I'm an IT pro. I don't write code. I'm never going to write the software for the guidance systems and that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean I couldn't be involved somehow, right? And how cool would that be? Working for waterways, roadways, uh, airways. So which which project interests you and uh, for which you want to work? Uh, so funny enough, we've done all three of those. Um, which would I find the most? Uh, it so I'm going to dodge the question and say, look, it really depends on the problem, because any of those three industries could come to you with a, a really challenging problem that is interesting to work on. And any of them could bring to you something so completely mundane that you go, well, yeah, we'll do it for you. But where's the excitement? Right. Um, I love it when a customer comes to me, no matter what the industry, no matter what the business with a a tangible business problem that we can help them solve that's gnarly enough to interest me and excite me, right? And I really don't mind how mundane the customer might appear if they bring a challenging problem. So at last, uh, technology and uh, 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 connectivity between things and in, in the device in between, uh, in between software and connectivity between uh, uh, human beings, the social life. So if I ask you to uh, compare both the connectivity, human network and computer network, what do you say? That's another really interesting question. Um, I think you need to separate connectivity Separate what we're connecting, right? So connecting machines is about transferring information. Connecting human beings, the transfer of emotion, I think, is more important. You know, I've really enjoyed talking to you for the past hour. I'm hoping that I've imparted some knowledge, experience, information, whatever. But actually, it's been a pleasure and I've enjoyed that. The the problem, I think, comes when when you forget about the emotional part of connecting to human beings. If if you just treat you as you're the product, right, the, 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 the typical sort of Google criticism. I don't care about Cy the person and what you're interested in and what your dreams are. I just care about analyzing what you do so I can target you with an advert for, I don't know, fish, which will make you spend money with one of my customers. That's great. I've solved a technological problem, but does it bring me joy? Does it bring you joy? I mean, you know, do you live for pictures of fish in your social stream? I don't know. But I think the where you connect the two that interests me is where it's for the benefit of human good, right? So the smartwatch that I'm wearing tracks by heartbeat. 
and can give me information that might help me from a health perspective. That kind of connectivity interests me because I can see the tangible benefit. Um, what I what I rail against more is the technology that's trying to track me to allow somebody to sell me something. That kind of cynical use, I'm I'm not I'm not interested in. Um, but I think the connectivity is one of the things that I've always enjoyed from a, a, an IT point of view, literally because it, it's changed so much. Because I started with coaxial cable, thick Ethernet and, and, and T-pieces where you, you've got a card in the back of the PC. And if you were quick, you could actually unplug the cable, stick a new segment and plug it all back in again. And the PC wouldn't ever have noticed it was disconnected because things didn't happen that quick. And now it's about wireless and the amount of data we're transferring and the speed we need to transfer and the technology the, the technological problems of that interest me because the customers that I work with are bringing me business problems where transferring information transferring lots of information safely and securely are important um but I I yeah I'm, I guess I'm fortunate that I don't tend to be involved in the kind of projects that are trying to connect human beings my connection to human beings is like i'm being now right i i love being the guy in the meeting room who's bouncing around and inspiring people and exciting people and drawing stuff because of that emotional connection so emotion and logic you're understanding the emotion of the human being and uh, you you understand the logic and in information technology and uh, using both, you're connecting both and you're creating business and uh, you're creating wealth. So yeah, what do you say about emotion and logic? Uh, I'm tempted to say live longer prosper, but so um, remember I did, I did a, a marketing degree. So I spent three years learning about how to make people need stuff desperately that they really don't want. Um, and a lot of that is about the emotional connection to the thing that you've you've got. How does it make you feel? I like to think that the technology projects we work on, if there is a human element, a user interface, that bringing joy is perhaps going a little far, right? But it should at least be pleasurable to use and not horrible. And I hope that we build stuff that people like to use and it makes their day a little easier um the that sort of logic versus emotion that's a very interesting thing because it's very important in business um we have always been driven by our hearts as much as our heads here at bm there are projects that we genuinely want to do because we can see they'll make a difference you know there are organizations that we want to work with because of the work they do and we will make commercial decisions that might not necessarily be the one that you would make if you were just doing cold hard logic you know we might give them discounts on what they pay us because we want to do the work for them because we feel that we understand them and we want to deliver it so i think when you talk about logic versus emotion to me it's a balancing act right of 
because I'm I'm not involved necessarily in the logic of computer programming. I mean, that kind of side, the logic versus emotion to me is putting the needs of my team over the wants of my customer or making sure that the customers I'm I'm working with are worthwhile, if, if you like. You know, um, I, I don't ever want to work for Mr. Evil Corporation. I'm, I'm fairly comfortable that we never have done. Um, so I. I tend to lean more towards an emotional response than necessarily a cold, hard, logical response when I'm making decisions, I guess, is is where you were coming from with the question. Uh, you are emotionally intelligent. How? What works for you to uh, be the best uh, user interface for your company? Okay, that's another interesting question as well. So what do you mean? What, what, me being an interface for my company to other people or me designing interfaces on the, sof on the software? Me, me talking, so I think me presenting a face of black marble, if, if you like, I, I don't find that difficult because we tend to wear our hearts on our sleeves, right? I mean, if you look at the people that work with me, um, I work with my friends, the people that work for me, I have a lot of respect for, a lot of pride in. Um, it's not difficult to be the face of that kind of organization. If you're proud of what you built and you enjoy working in that kind of an organization, I think there's a sort of infectious enthusiasm when you talk about it and you talk about the things your team have built and the accomplishments the company has. Um, so I, I don't really put an awful lot of thought into it. Maybe I should. Now, you, now you've mentioned it. Maybe I, yeah, but I'm not that kind of person that that is terribly sort of calculating about what kind of image I, I'm presenting. I hope I'm a nice guy. I try to do right by people. And I think those principles then echo into, reflect into the organization that I help run and their values that the people I work with and the people we hire to work with us share. And I think having a company ethos that's open and honest means that that the interface you present out to other organizations is a very natural thing. It sort of comes along for the ride. You know, it's, it's not like we're an organization that has to consciously present a certain facade because, I don't know, we're involved in espionage or something like that. You know, don't tell them your name. Um, we can be open. We can be honest. We, we want you to trust us. We want to help you. So we act in that kind of way. If, if I'm on a customer call, if they ask me a question, if I can solve that problem in five minutes on the call, yeah, okay. The salesperson might say, you just solved that in five minutes. I could have sold them an hour of consultancy time. It's like, yes, but I would have solved it in five minutes on the consultancy call. And they'd have said, you've just charged me for 55 minutes. What do I get? By helping you, I hope you'll come back to me because you know that I'm honest enough to say, hey, that's a really easy problem. Here you go. Just go read my blog post on that. I did it the other week or go look at this video or, you know, here is the solution. When you've got a problem that's tricky, come back to me because I'll help you with the tricky problem. Um, that's kind of how we try to roll. So because of your presence, uh, because of uh, the problem solving ability of yours, 
how many uh, i mean what what is going to change in uk and on this planet in coming days until you be, be alive god that's a nasty question that's evil um so so the, the uk is a fun place right now right with with brexit and covid and, and everything else so aspirationally i hope that the world is going to become a better place um i think actually technology is having a part of that the the idealist in me really hopes that we see a continuation of some of the change that the internet has brought about like access to information like helping people anywhere around the world be able to find information to help them make their lives better to be able to communicate and and, and get knowledge in a way that you just couldn't when i was a, a lad but at the same time the the darker side of that bothers me a lot you know you can find anything you like on the internet which means you can find anything you like on the internet and that's not necessarily a good thing um i think in the in the space that i am working and affecting change i'm seeing that we're helping people do more with less if you like we're helping organizations be more efficient we're helping people take less time to do the stuff that doesn't bring lots of value. And I'd like to see that continue. I, I, again, the idealist in me really likes the idea of, hey, we can work shorter hours, right? Because we've automated away through technology a lot of the stuff that the drudgery of, of life makes us do. And therefore we can have a better quality of life by doing the stuff outside work. Um, I really hope that's the direction we're going in. Um, I'm concerned at the moment on a sort of an economic point of view within the UK itself that maybe that's not quite the direction we're going in right now and that there's an area of focus for us at management here at BM to make sure that we, we keep the lights on, we keep the team engaged and happy and, and hopefully give them that work-life balance. Um, yeah, I, I am an idealist. I hope the world's going to get better. I, I do. There is evidence of that, right? I love the fact that, again, let's pick on Microsoft. There's, there are now some really vibrant um, technology centers that Microsoft have been establishing across India and Africa. Um, and that has a ripple out effect in terms of education and, and quality of life and the development in you know your country and other countries that i think there's a lot of inequality in the world and I'd, I'd i'd really like to see that inequality balanced out somewhat you know that it it isn't i'm i am very conscious that i am a middle-aged white bloke with all of the privilege that that implies um and the big change that i'd really like to see and i i hope that at least I'm not working against in the stuff that I do is to make sure that other people get the same opportunities that I was afforded. You know, like like yourself, Si, I mean, you're doing fantastic things with with your videos and your interviews 
that are made possible by the technological advances that people perhaps like me and other organizations around the, the planet have built. And we probably never even dreamed when we were conceptualizing some of these things that you were going to use it for what you're using it for. And humanity is a force for greater good if you let it be and you believe in it. Um, and I, I choose to believe in it. <laughs> So being uh, being a leader, being inspiring, uh, motivating, and uh, managing, uh, connecting the dots, and uh, creating the wealth, solving the problems is not very easy job. There there is there are so many people who are going to get influenced because of you. There are so many things are going to change because of uh, the decision that you take. So how responsible are you? How uh, how much time you put uh, in understanding things? Because I I'm asking this question because there are there, there are a lot of people who wants to become leaders in the world will be watching and listening to our conversation from anywhere on this planet. So I think the answer to your question is 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 going to sound glib, and the answer is as much time as it takes. Um, I am constantly learning new stuff. I'm always looking for things that might help me be better at what I do. I'm constantly looking at how other people do the job that I do. Um, you know, talking to my peers and, and colleagues and friends in other organizations and seeing how they are successful. Um, the, 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 I think the key thing that's helped me get to where I am is the encouragement of and support of other people. And I think if I was to give anybody who wanted to do what I do a piece of advice, it would be to not be afraid to reach out to somebody who you think is already doing that and ask them how they got there. And I think the challenge is that we should all continuously keep doing that right because we can always learn something useful from somebody else if you stop learning you stagnate um and industry is is a challenge you know it's it's a it is a competition um yes i i, I have people who will give me some advice but even at I'm not they need to know that I'm not going to take that advice and stab them in the back and, and, and um, suddenly use it to, to compete in a in a horrible way. But just because it is a competition doesn't mean that you can't talk to and learn from your competitors um, and be open and, and, and honest to a point with with them. Um, I think there are certain things that you. You either have to consciously go out and learn or be taught. Right. So. There's a side to management, which is the sort of inspirational, um, you know. Bang the drum, bring people along for the ride, which is sort of how you act. But then there's the side to management, which is more technical, managing people, setting goals, measuring those goals. And I think. You you do need to do the reading around that. You need to look at what works. You need to you know the the thing the management marketing and a non technical degree gave me was an understanding of business. 
and those skills have really helped me do the non-technical stuff in in my life you know the, the how do i hopefully inspire people how do i encourage them um how do i clearly articulate what i need people to do because if i'm a terrible communicator and i don't give you clear goals i can't really be upset if you don't deliver me what i asked you to right if i if i ask you to paint my front room and I don't tell you what colour and let you choose. I can't be upset if you paint it purple and I hate purple because I didn't stipulate the colour. Um, some of that has got to be learned and, and some of it, I think, is is a, a sort of a, a character thing. Um, so. We all know that we need to go and do the reading to learn the technology side of our life, right? I guess is what I'm, I'm trying to say. We don't necessarily realize that we need to go and do the reading to learn the non-technology side of our life in business as well. And, and that's the bit that you should do. You know, if you're learning to code, you're being taught to code, you're learning the technology side, that's brilliant. You're gonna be a fantastic developer. You're gonna be a great practitioner. But if you don't look at ways to learn communication techniques, presentation skills, um, how to listen to people, how to ask a good question and listen to the answer. Um, you're not going to succeed. You're not going to achieve the level you could as a developer because you've only got half the tools in your toolbox. So as an influencer, as an impact creator, as a problem solver, as a director, as a person who started with non-technical background, as a person who is into technology for last 25 years in one company and solved a lot of problems. Uh, what is your observation about this conversation and uh, my videos on YouTube? So I'm going to say I, I love what you're doing. Um, I. When I started, there was no internet, right? And and I found it incredibly useful to be able to talk to the people that I met about what they did for a living and whether I could do it and how they thought I could I could get into that. And I received a lot of really good advice. Um, the fact that you're building this just enormous list of really cool people talking to you about what they do and you're asking really great questions. It's really nasty hard ones, by the way. Um, that's an incredible resource, because if somebody says, I think I would like to work in this area, then you know, now I can say, fine, go look at Sai's YouTube channel. Go have a look through the interviews. There are people in there that I have a huge amount of respect for. You know, go see what they said about what they do for a living and then come back and tell me whether you want to do it. I, I think it's incredible. Um, it's a really great body of work. and You should be absolutely proud of it. So with this uh, uh, experience, uh, learning from a great experts like you, listening to uh, people like you and understanding and uh, in, uh, learning how this uh, uh, information is going to helpful for me if I work in IT. Ooh, well, how, how do I think it's gonna be helpful for you? Well, surely that's a, that's a question for you, Sai. How, how do you think that talking to me has helped you in terms of insight for working in IT? Um, I hope, I hope that from each interview you get one little nugget, maybe that you take away and go, 
and and that was useful and i'll try and do that i'll try and be like them maybe um i don't know what i, I guess if if i hope there was one thing you took from talking to me it's that sort of honest enthusiasm because i genuinely believe that that the people that i work with appreciate that you can be the most brilliant technical mind and a shockingly awful communicator or a really nasty human being um i think if you've nailed the being a nice human being and being a good communicator that's more value for your career than being the just a brilliant mind right so one last uh, 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 answer that i want from you uh, because uh, there are people who are going to uh, come to my show who who works in you know space technology so do you have anything to say to them you know you want to change anything or you want some you want to give some constructive ideas which will help the planet to to which help the mankind because you have so, both uh, uh, you know both experiences you understand technology you understand uh, communication communicating with a uh, lot of people so you understand the complete business aspect so so i'm not allowed to just say hey you work in space technology can i go up on the next rocket please um i think i'd say the same thing to the space technology guys as i'd say to the medical technology guys as i'd say to the car technology guys you know it, it's it's not just about what you're trying to do it's always about the bigger picture i actually to be fair the space technology guys really do tend to understand the bigger picture i mean if if you think about the people that that um launched the james webb telescope right there were so many different people involved in so many of the different aspects of that project that you could be very focused on um you know the rocket guidance system or the fuel pumps or the engine and making it the best it could possibly be but the bigger picture is the benefit to human knowledge of putting the james webb telescope out where it is at the lagrange point taking pictures of the universe that we couldn't do any other way and the benefit to humankind and i think um there are certain industries that are very sort of headline in terms of the potential impact they could make the the key thing really is not to squander that opportunity um what do i mean by that so i don't object to a space company funding itself by taking billionaires on joy rides to orbit but if that is all that company does they're not really contributing to the greater good are they they're literally just lobbing billionaires up for a joy ride if the billionaires are funding the research and the development of technology that's then going to be used for better things to launch the next James Webb or to go and you know mine cheese on the moon go take minerals from asteroids that kind of stuff there's a purpose to that and the 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 billionaires are funding it they get something out of it they get to go to space but we get something out of it and it's all about what is that end goal um and i think as i've got older i'm 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 increasingly focused on the is this actually going to be good good for humanity kind of stuff at the macro level even if i'm only focused on this little one bit of it here at the micro level yeah that and can i have a space suit please so uh, thank you thank you uh, 
uh, like uh, for giving me opportunity again uh, and allowing me to ask some questions and uh, uh, helping uh, my audience know about you and uh, the work that you are doing and i'm sure uh, uh because of you a lot of things change a lot of wealth will be created not only in england all over the planet uh, and uh, keep doing what you love uh, and uh, i'll put your website link in the description of this video people who finds our video and can 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 see uh, uh the services that you are providing and uh, and uh, can 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 take it and uh, can contact you and Thank you. I've, 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 I've really enjoyed this. I'm, I'm now going to keep an eye on who you interview next. Um, if I could say one thing, it's look, if if you see me at an event or a conference or something like that, just come up and say hi and talk to me. And the same is true. I think almost everybody you've interviewed, right, is uh, lots of them are, in, are involved in the community in some way. We love to talk to people. We love to chat. We love to share and inspire. So if I can do that by talking to you and I've really enjoyed doing so, that's brilliant. Um, but, you know, if you see me in person at a conference somewhere, then run up and shake my hand and say hi, Rick, and, and ask me questions because I love doing that. So it's a great opportunity if I be a part of uh, that great endeavor. So uh, can I put this video on my YouTube channel with your permission? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, I'd say it's, it's been a pleasure. I, I, I just hope that it, it's given you what you were looking for and you've enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. Awesome. Can I also put this audio and video clip on my podcast, website, internet, social media, everywhere with your permission? Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Can you please uh, spell your website for my people who are listening this conversation on podcast? So the Black Marble website is www.blackmarble, B-L-A-C-K-M-A-R-B-L-E dot com so dot com um if they go if people go there they'll be able to find my blog site um on social media i am rick hepworth everywhere twitter linkedin youtube you name it so if, if you google rick hepworth you'll find blog posts video posts all kinds of stuff so if you just stick my twitter handle on people should be able to find the stuff that i've i've done and get in touch if they need to Awesome. Thank you, Rick, again uh, for, for your valuable time and uh, for your valuable words. No, it's, it's been a real pleasure, sir. Genuinely, it, it has. And I wish you the best of luck with whoever you get to interview next. Sure. Thank you, sir, again. Grand. All right. Thanks. You take care and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.